look at some things here today. And how many of you notice the title of this? It sounds like the board. That's right. If you have been around me for any length of time, generally, you know, a couple of weeks is all it takes, you will know that my absolute favorite TV show of all time ever made in the history of mankind Star is Star Trek The Next Generation. Star Trek was good, but The Next Generation was so much better. I mean, they had plots. They actually had I mean, these plots. To, they took you through. You had to think through these things. But Star Trek The Next Generation came up with probably what is considered to be the best space enemy ever. And that is, of course, the Borg. The Borg was a formidable enemy. enemy. And if any of you watched, I don't know if you all picked up on how many of you all watched Star Trek Enterprise? This is the latest one they did that they, uh, you know, it all went back in time to, the, to way back, back early. Well, they did an episode where they introduced the Borg. And they had this, this uh, particular ship that they came in contact with. And before they were able to, to, to disable it, it was able to get a message back. And they found out where the message was going to and guess where it was going. And so it was going back to the Borg. The Borg they were going toward the uh, Delta Quadrant. And that's where the Borg is. And so they said, well, it's going to take a couple hundred years for the message to get there. Until they get back. And of course, that all times it out to Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> That's right. Boy, it's nice when they, they always tie in together like that. But, but the Borg would show up. And the first time they showed up, of course, you have this uh, person there. It's half machine and half person. And they've got all kinds of things intertwined in there. And they're all part of a group. There's no more individuals. They're all part of a group. And of course, they come up to you and tell you that resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. You will no longer be the individual. You will be assimilated into the group. And all that matters is the good of the group. And they had a pretty cool ship too, didn't they? I mean, just a cube. Just a little cube flew around space. A real interesting little thing. Tough thing though. They had a tough time just, just taking care of that. But of course, Captain Picard came up with a way. And the Borg was destroyed. But resistance is futile. You would, and that's what the, every Borg member believed. It was futile to resist the Borg. Of course, they hadn't run into the Federation, humans, stuff like that, you know. And we just don't believe in assimilation. And so they fought it with everything that they could. But sometimes, we have to get this idea that resistance is futile. Sometimes we are resisting God in ways that we don't even realize. And we have to just come to the point... We just think back at the Star Trek Enterprise and just remember, resistance is futile. Why bother to resist? You will be assimilated. You are going to be assimilated into the plan of God. As long as you have been born again, you get assimilated into the good plan of God. If you have not been born again, you get assimilated into the other plan. Plan B. Plan B is not as good. I like plan A. Let's go to heaven, rule and reign with him. That's the better way to go. But we're going to take a look at a guy who resisted, but resisted the wrong, wrong things. No matter what, you are going to be resisting something. We are always resisting something. In the morning when you wake up, what are you resisting? <laughs> You have a desire to, to get to sleep. But then at nighttime, you're trying to you know, push on a little bit further. You're resist, resisting 
You, resist, you want to stay awake, so you're resisting sleep because I need to get these things done. And so it just seems like we're not happy. In the morning, we're resisting waking up. In the evening, we're resisting sleep. You're always going to be resisting something. The trick is be on the right side. Be on the right side of, of what you should be resisting. We're going to take a look at a king today, King Asa, over in Second Chronicles chapter 14. You will also find this story in, in uh, the book of Kings, but it's not as complete. And you'll have no idea what's going on and why God ever got mad with Asa if all you read is the book of Kings. Because it doesn't tell you the whole story. But it doesn't, doesn't have to. The rest of the story is over here in Second Chronicles. So Abijah rested with his father, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place in the days the land was quiet for ten years. So Asa has ten years of, of peace. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. So he starts off as a good king. And actually, King Asa is one of the better kings of Judah. Remember, he, the northern kingdom of Israel, how many good kings did they have? None. Had a couple of guys who were good before they became king. Every single one of them turned into a bad king by the time they took the kingship. But the rest of them were just bad from the beginning all the way to the end. They just, even before they got to be king, they were bad and they got worse as they got to be, be king. So that's, uh, we, we don't have any question if you're reading about a king of the north, northern tribes, you already know he is a bad king. He, he, he didn't follow after God. If you're reading about a king in the southern tribes, possibility he's a good king. But we've been looking over the last uh, number of weeks, 11 specifically, at the idea of gratitude and thanksgiving and how important it is for us to have a lifestyle of gratitude and thanksgiving. That's just the way that we are. We're just always grateful, always thankful. And we looked at this, we looked at this beginning way back in the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve became ungrateful for the beautiful garden that God had provided. Ungrateful for all the trees that they had to eat because Satan had weaseled his way in and made them think they were missing out on something by not having the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they began to think that, oh, there's a reason why, we, why can't we have this? And that's what the devil needs to get us to do. If he can get us to, be, to not appreciate what we have, to not be thankful for what we have. We've used the examples before. We'll use them again. Husbands become ungrateful for their wives. Wives become ungrateful for their husbands. Parents become ungrateful for their kids. We become ungrateful for our jobs. We become ungrateful for our neighborhood. We become ungrateful for the blessings God has given us. Ungrateful for the car that we drive. Ungrateful for the house that we have. Because we're out here saying, well, oh, but I don't have this. Oh, but it's not this one. Oh, but it isn't this over here. Remember King Ahab? King Ahab was king of which tribes? Northern or southern? Just a little quiz time. You know, make sure you stay sharp. He was king of the northern tribes. And so we know that he was a bad king. Because if he's king in the north, he's bad. North, north is not good. But we saw that he had all these different things. This was not in this series, but sometime before we looked at it. He had all these things. He had a palace. He had houses in different cities. He probably had some beachfront property. Beachfront house. He had vineyards and gardens and chariots and horses. He had all kinds of things. And then one day he got an idea. Oh, look at that field over there. I'd like to have a vegetable garden. 
And he went on down to ask if he could get that field for a vegetable garden. And the owner of it says, no, God told me I need to keep it into my family. Can't sell it to you. And he was un- unhappy. And so his wife went out there and got him the vegetable garden by killing off the owner. This king had gone in and he sulked and sulked and sulked and sulked. And he cried on his bed. And he wouldn't eat any food because he couldn't get his vegetable garden. This is the king who was king over all the land. Had palaces, chariots, horses, servants. I mean, if he really wanted a vegetable garden, who cares where it is? He's not taking care of it. Someone else is. He's not hauling in the vegetables. Someone else is hauling in the vegetables. What does it matter if it's close by? <laughs> it just means the servants have to work more. Not him. He just tells the servants, go out and get me some peppers. He doesn't go out and get the peppers. He's the king. Oh, but he got so sad. See, the devil has to get us to be unappreciative of the things that we have. Because if we don't appreciate what we have, then we can begin to lust after, covet things we don't, we don't have, belong to someone else, shouldn't have. And then we're set up for trouble. So this is why this idea here, being thankful, is so important. We've got to have a lifestyle of thankfulness. Of just walking in gratitude. Father God, I thank you for all the things you've blessed me with. But the devil wants us to get us focused on, but you don't have this. You have two kids, but you don't have four. Right? You have two dogs, but you don't have eight. We can always have more. You know, you have two cars, but you don't have three. You have three cars, but you don't have a boat. You have a, do- a boat, but you don't have a lake. You know, there's always something that you don't have. And no matter what, I mean, how many of you have lived life just fine until you saw the commercial? Oh, I don't have one of those. Man, do I need one of those. I didn't know it, but I need to have one of those. Wow. Oh. I mean, the, the nice shoes come out. Perfectly content with the shoes that you have until you see those shoes. Wow. These, aren't, these are inadequate shoes. They're not as good as those ones over there. I don't like this. This belt is kind of inadequate. You know, it's kinda, I don't like that so much. My MP3 player used to be really good, but you know, it's not like the new ones. You know, the new ones, they're better. I like the new ones. I have had the same MP3 player for two years. That doesn't sound like long, does it? No. It doesn't sound because, but I love gadgets. Oh, I love gadgets. You know, I love, but the one I have now is absolutely the best MP3 player on the market. There is nothing as good as it is. If it were to break today, I would go out and buy a new one tomorrow. I use it every day. I use it for more than just MP3s, but I listen to sermons. I hear music that I want to hear. And I get to do so many things on that. It is on almost. Con- I wear the battery almost every day. It is. So I, th- I constantly say, Father God, thank you for making this on, this one up. I am so grateful for him having done that. Two years. Well, actually, about two and a half now coming up on, on that. And uh, I just keep on going. Glory to God. But, you know, we, I, we were talking with some of the gadget guys. CES just finished up last week. How many of you know what CES is? Absolutely no idea. Just got you guys know what it is. Consumer Electronics um, Show. And they come out with all the gadgets. If you like gadgets, this is the place to go. 
they're bringing out gadgets there that are not even made yet. They just show you the prototype. You know, if you want to get into gadgets, this is the place to go. I don't know where it was. I was at the, looking at some of the articles. Oh, that looks pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But it didn't get me to lust or covet out there or anything at all. Still content with the stuff I have. You know, they came up with a laptop that is a see-through, see-through screen. Introduce that over to CES. You have a laptop, you flip it up, the, scenes, the screen in the front, see-through. You can actually put your hand behind it and see right through it. Now, why would you need that? I don't know why you need that, but some people are going to need that and they're going to have, they have it there now. <laughs> you can get that. Oh, yeah. You see, you can see that and all of a sudden, oh, what I have is totally inadequate. I, can, I can't see through my laptop. I need to see. I didn't know I needed to see through my laptop, but I now know I need to see through my laptop. <laughs> Oh, this is what we do. We gotta, he's got to get us into a place where we become unthankful. Because when we are in an at- atmosphere, an attitude of ungratefulness, unthankfulness, we are prime soil for the seeds of sin. And here we have King Asa. He did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, it's missed in this part. We do get to it later on in Chronicles, but it doesn't tell you how long he reigned. So I'm going to to jump to the end. And it's also, I gave you the reference there in 1 Kings because 1 Kings comes right out and tells you, Asa reigned for 41 years. 41 years. So he reigned for a pretty long time. There were a number of kings who reigned longer, but not many. He reigned for 41 years. Verse 4, He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah and the kingdom was quiet under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, those 10 years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore, he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers, gates and bars while the land is yet before us because we have sought the Lord our God We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. What he did was he has 10 years of rest. He doesn't maybe know that it's 10 years, but he knows he has rest with the land right now. So what he does is he makes preparation for when he will not have rest, which is a good idea. It is easier to prepare to defend yourselves when things are going pretty good than it is in the midst of a battle. So that's what he did. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. So almost 600,000. It's about 580,000 total. Then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them in an army of a million men and 300 300 chariots. And he came to Maresha. One million men. He has how many? 580,000. They're outnumbered, aren't they? Now, we've seen battles where they were outnumbered more. But they're still outnumbered. Plus, they have 300 chariots. We're not really giving too much on the, not kind of on the side of Israel. So Asa went out against him. And they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zaphatha at Maresha. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord... It is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let men 
prevail against you. Boy, is that a faith statement? Boy, that is good. We're here for battle. We're not going to be deterred by the fact that they have a million men and 300 chariots. We're here because you've asked us to be. You've told us to be. So here we are. We're going to defend the land of God. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. And they carried away very much spoil. So it was profitable for them. Then they defeated all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there was exceeding much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. So basically they're saying, we'll teach you to pick on us. (laughs) Not only are we going to defend ourselves, we're going to come get your stuff. You came to get our stuff, we're going to come get yours now. (laughs) We were fine to let that stuff be yours, but you wanted to have our stuff become yours. So now we're going to get your stuff too. They go out there and they took it. That sounds all pretty good, doesn't it? He's following after God. Asa trusted what God said. And that's really the big thing. Asa trusted what God said. He had trust with him. And that's so important. You've got to, you've got to trust God. Well, we're in chapter 15. Now the spirit of the of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. The Lord is with you while you are with him. Too often Christians want the Lord to be with them always while they do whatever it is they want to do. But the Lord is with you while you are with him. In other words, don't leave him. He won't leave you, but don't you leave him. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God. Look at this. This is so neat. For a long time, the Lord has been without the true God. They haven't worshipped the true God. They've been worshipping idols. Without a teaching priest... And without law. So of all the things they were without, first off, they were without true God. They were without a priest that would teach them how to follow after God and what the law of God was. And they were without law or without God's law. They weren't following after that. So for a long time, he says, that's the way way it was. Verse 4. But when in their troubles, they turned to the Lord of God of Israel and sought him. He was found by them. Even though they disobeyed, when they came on back to God, he let them be, be found. And in those times... There was no place to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great toil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city. But God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Remember we told you that God is into short job descriptions? Really, there's no job description here until we get to the end. He's just kind of relaying some history, talking about some things exhorting a little bit. But here it is. And this is one of the longest ones we have in the Word of God. Comes over here to King Asha, Asa. But you, be strong. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So this is what he tells them to do. 
And so Asa listens to it. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded the prophet, and actually it's his, his son, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities. And when he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim and he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord, then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord God was with him. Well, when you follow after God, you just attract people, don't you? So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at the time seven hundred bulls and seven thousand sheep from the spoil that they brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart, with all their soul, and whatever would not, and whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Now, that's all admirable and stuff like that to do, but God doesn't want people who worship Him because if they don't, they'll be put to death. He wants people that will worship Him because they love Him. That's why, you know, in this, in this country, we, we cannot as Christians look for legislation that is uh, beneficial for Christians or the legislation to, to uh, outlaw you know, immorality. God wants people who will worship Him because they want to. We don't need laws in a land. Thou shalt pray in school. Thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that. We don't need laws for those kind of things. All we need to do is get out there and teach people. Too many Christians are so focused on the fact that, oh, we need to get an uh, abortion law uh, passed so that they can't have abortions anymore. No, what you need to do is get people saved. Get people following after God. And they won't want to. That's what you've got to change. See, we don't, we don't want to change the one-two. We want to be able to change what they can do. <laughs> no, change the one-two. Get people to want to serve God. Get people to want to preserve life. That's the best way around it. But, of course, they, they stepped over bounds there, but, you know, they have enthusiasm. <laughs> enthusiasm is good, I guess. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Also he removed Mecca, the mother of Asa, the king, from being queen mother. Now if you read go further back, you find out how nasty she was. Because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, and Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed and burned it with the, by the book Kidron. That's where all the nasty stuff goes, by the book Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Now, they were removed from the cities, but not from all Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated silver, gold, and utensils. And there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So there was just a war with the Ethiopians, which occurred after the first 10 years of peace. And then from... From that point on, we had no war. And uh, they went on for a long, long time. They had no war, which was real good. Now, this part here about the high places, sometimes people get confused. We've gone over it a few times. You may remember this. The high places generally represent worship to Jehovah in a wrong way. It was set up for convenience. Instead of going to Jerusalem and doing what you're commanded to do to go to Jerusalem, ah, Jerusalem's kind of far. How about if we just set up a high place over here and what you have to do down there, you just come over here and do it. Oh, well, that's easier. 
Yeah, let's go out there. Let's do that one. So that's really what it was. It's not something with idol worship. He, he removed the idols. He removed a lot of the idol worship from the land. But the, the high places that uh, were set up for convenience out in the uh, other area, well, he didn't get rid of all those. But overall, he did a pretty good job. He got rid of a lot of stuff. So when you see that high places, don't get caught up and think, oh, there's still idolatry going on in the land. There may still have been idolatry going on in the land. Because once again, you can't legislate that. But of course, if they were found, what happened to them? They killed them. They passed a new law. You're going you're gonna to die. <laughs> well, then we get on to chapter 16. We're in the 36th year of the reign of Asa. And Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah. And that he might let none go out into Asa, king of Judah. Now, Ramah, some people pronounce it Ramah, but it's not. It's actually Ramah. <laughs> Ramah, it's, a, um, it's the home of Samuel. And Samuel built there a school of the prophets. And this was his hometown. There were actually a number of Ramahs in the uh, land of Israel. This particular one is just north of Jerusalem. And is near some of the cities you're going to see mentioned here as we, we go on. But Ramah is Hebrew and it means to be high. So it's actually a name of a place of a of a place that's elevated, a place in uh, in elevation. It's located on the eastern side of the central Benjamite plain. It's opposite Gibeon. And Ramah, Ramah uh, lay about halfway between Bethel and Jerusalem, about six miles to go either direction. It was situated at the junction of two main travel routes: the north-south Patriarchs Highway, the ridge road connecting Shechem to Hebron. And the east-west route that linked the Transjordan Highway and an international coastal highway. So I'm sure you all know where those places are. <laughs> no, what you need to mostly understand from this is that you know they don't go by I-95 and you know 76 and the Turnpike, and they don't have that. But they had some major routes, and where this where Rama was situated was a place where two of these major routes came together. So if they could ex exercise control over this area, they could actually cut off the southern nations in some areas, in some ways. And so that's why they were upset about it and, and looked, at, looked at this. Now, Basha is king of, which is the, is he a good king or a bad king? He's a bad king because there's no, no good kings up in the north. They're all bad. They wanted to establish Ramah as a stronghold to prevent the travelers from entering into Judah and going down into that, in that area. We see that later on that uh, they're going to lay siege and take back all the stuff that Asa or that Basha had brought in there and it's going to be some more benefit for him. But here's the problem. We have Basha, king of Israel, who is fortifying this, who is uh, of Israel. So you have the dilemma. Do we want to attack our brethren? Now, apparently, Basha's okay with it. But Asa and the people in the south had to come to grips. Do we want to attack our brethren? Because it would, have to, it would take an attack to get them out. So Asa thinks about this for a while and says, you know, I don't really want to attack our brethren. Let's come up with another way. And they came up with another way. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasures of the home of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Bed-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So his idea is that Basha is strong and exerting power here 
because he feels the king of Syria is on his side. If we can break that alliance and he doesn't have that strength, he now has to be concerned that, that uh, the king of Syria might attack him. He won't just try and fortify this. He has to fortify other areas. So that was the goal. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. So not only did he break the treaty, but he also came over there and attacked them. They attacked Ejon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Well, he can't keep working on this city if you've got these uh, other problems to deal with, so he heads on back there. And now it happened when Basha heard it, he stopped building Ramah, ceased his work, and the king Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building, and with them he built Geba and Mitzpah. Now here's the thing about this. We just shifted. You don't pick this up in the text at all. But what just happened here is we shifted the border between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Up until now, these cities were in the area or under the control of the northern kingdom. They controlled the area of Ramah. But when they abandoned it and Israel moved in, they took control of that city and they changed the, order, the border. Mostly they took t uh, territory away from the tribe of Benjamin. And they restructured the border. So the southern kingdom grew and the northern kingdom shrunk. It wasn't a whole lot, but it was some. Now, if you have a problem and you come up with a solution and it works out that nobody died, no war had to be fought, and you got rich out of it, it can't be a bad plan, right? This is a pretty good idea. So you, most of us, would, if we stopped reading there and we only read the account over in Kings, we would say, wow, Asa did all right. A nice, peaceful solution. No one had to die. But God didn't have the same view about this. His view was a, just a little bit different. Verse 7. Now at that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Now this is real interesting when the prophet comes there. He doesn't say that Basha escaped your hand, the king of Israel. He says that the king of Syria escaped your hand. So God apparently had plans for Asa to not only defeat the Ethiopians, but to also defeat the Syrians. And Asa apparently didn't think that he could do that. He probably saw the Syrians as a more formidable enemy than the Ethiopians, even though the Ethiopians had more, more people. And it's been a while, you know, it was back in the year between year 10 and year 15 that he fought the Ethiopians. And now we're up to year 36. Peace can get you to be a little complacent. And we, we just like peace better. And it's not going to war. And so they were looking for you know, non-military solutions for this. And they came up with one. But they never asked God. They never came to God and said, God, what should we do in this? They did before. Had a great faith statement before. God, we got this multitude coming out against us. We thank you that you can deliver by many or by few. We're here. We're ready. And they were. Well, you we wrote this in your outline. A good ending should mean a good solution was followed, right? But not here. This is not a good solution. Verse, verse 8. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord 
He delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Alright, now look at this. How many of you all know that verse? Yeah, we know that verse real well. This is the context of the verse. This is where it fits in. You need to rely on God. I am looking all over for someone that I can show myself strong on their behalf. The opportunity was completely lost. Asa never went to war with Syria. Never had the opportunity to execute what God wanted to do because Syria was doing some very horrible things to other people. And God wanted to stop them. And he was going to use Asa and the, the folks in the south there to do it. But Asa didn't see it. He didn't ask God about it. And so he went out there and he made his own plan and he made a treaty. Well, why not just break the treaty? And God says, no, we don't do that. You make a wrong treaty, you know, you live with it. But look how he got the treaty. He stole from God. He went into the Lord's house and took all those things that they dedicated to the Lord. All the gold, all this. Remember we just read before? He went and got all these vessels that were there before and rededicated them to the Lord's purpose. And then he made up his own. And he put his own in there. And he went back in there and took it all out. Because I need money. And he gave it to, uh, to the king of Syria. Now can you imagine that? Stuff dedicated for, the, for God's purpose. God's temple. Being delivered into the hands of a scoundrel like the king of Syria was. Can you imagine that? I can, ima- I can see why God's not too happy with this solution. Now here's, we did all this to get to these verses. Alright, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. We, got, we have that part down. Verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this and Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. He went from being a good king, bringing prosperity and lots of good stuff into the the nation to when the prophet came to rebuke him, he got mad at the prophet and he put the prophet in jail. Remember, David had a prophet come to rebuke him. David didn't get mad at the prophet. David said, I have sinned. Saul was rebuked. What did Saul do? He got mad at the prophet. See, there's, there's, a, there's a pattern that's here. People that resist God resist His prophets, resist His messages. They're resistant to that. When they get it, they say, no, 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 uh-uh, no, no. I, and they, they, they know some stuff. You know, a little knowledge sometimes is a problem. It is. It, it can be a problem. Now, we have the kids in here with us today, so bear with me one of these, these stories. But you all know uh, moms and dads that are in here can think back when you were younger and when you had more knowledge. And mom and dad would try and come and talk to you or someone would, would come to try and talk to you who knew something. And what did you do? Yeah, right. I know better than that. That's not going to work that way. That won't break if you do that. That'll be just fine. I won't get hurt if I do this. Because why? We knew better. I have knowledge. Hmm. 
And then, of course, the moms and dads have to sit back and, and just watch you fail. And that was not going to work. Oh. They just don't, don't want you to get hurt. And, of course, it does fail. And then what do we do? We come back and say, Mom and Dad, oh, you were so right. I was, I was just a dope. I can't believe how wrong I was. You were so right. Now, what do we do? Well, I just didn't do it quite right. <laughs> I can do it. Just, I didn't get it right. I'm going to try it again. Why do we do that? We are resisting something, aren't we? We are resisting a certain path. We are resisting certain wisdom because we don't perceive it as wisdom because we have a certain amount of knowledge and that certain amount of knowledge is telling us you can do something else. Eve had a certain amount of knowledge. Did God really say? <laughs> a little knowledge can really hurt you. When you, when you uh, get grown up and you have your own house and you have to go out and do your own repairs, a little knowledge of electricity can hurt you. You can get severely hurt <laughs> by a little knowledge. Mm. You've got to learn your limits, what you, what you do. But you, you begin to learn. By us failing and us not accomplishing things and getting hurt, we begin to learn to yield to someone who's an expert in the field, to someone who knows what they're doing. So, oh, you know what you're doing now? What should I do over here? And you begin to yield more. And so part of growing wise and part of getting wisdom is we learn to yield to someone who has more knowledge. And we don't get out there and take on all the things that we would take on otherwise. Now, you have your, your home. How many of you have certain projects that you will take on yourself? And certain projects that you know, mm-mm. No, no, no. I have a number of different ones. You no, know, carpet is one. I despise carpet. I love it in the house, but I despise putting it in because I know better. If I, every time we need a carpet, who are we going to call? We're, we're going to call a guy. <laughs> we're going to call somebody and they're going to come in. They're going to put down the carpet because I'm not putting down the carpet. I've seen them put down the carpet. I know I don't know what I'm doing. But, you know, we, have, we did our kitchen and we had a plumber come on by and he told us how much he was going to charge us to do some things and I laughed at him. I said, dear Lord, it takes me a week to earn what you're going to earn in a half day. He said, there's no way I can do that. I said, I'll do it myself. <laughs> now understand, I can do some plumbing on my own. But it will take me longer than a plumber. <laughs> but it didn't take me a week. <laughs> it took me a number of hours to get it, especially when we couldn't get that pipe all the way drained. So it took a little bit longer. But I got it done. When I got it done, I said, Dear Lord, I saved all that money. Glory to God. And it's still holding and it's still working. It's not, someone took me under their wing when we, had, when we first had the, the house and they uh, showed me how to, they call it sweating in the joint. And uh, I didn't know how to do it until then. So now I know how to sweat in the joint. If I have a minor joint to sweat in, I'll do it on my own. I will not call a plumber. We had a joint, we had a sweat in. I brought Christian upstairs and said, You get to see how to do this now. <laughs> And you're real nervous until you do it one time on your own. Once you do it one time on your own, ah, this is easy. And it really is. It's, it's not, that, not that hard at all. But make sure that you yield to someone who has knowledge and someone who tells you. You know, I yielded. Somebody told me, said, all right, this is how you do the flame. This is how you do this. This is how you prep it. And 
got all that stuff down. Because if it doesn't work, guess what? You start over. Can't have stuff leaking. But Asa's not going to do this. Asa knew better. All this time he's been yielding to the will of God. All this time he's been doing what God said to do. And then we came to this and he came up with a great solution. No one died. We got rich. And the problem is taken care of. Why is God mad at me? God does not have a right to be mad at me. I came up with a good solution. And so what you have is Asa, who has been a good good sport, good, good Christian all this time, a good follower of God, all of a sudden he is now resistant to the things of God because God rebuked him through the prophet. He was all happy when God encouraged him with the prophet. We like prophets to come and encourage us. That's good. But when prophets come to rebuke, this is not so good. We don't like rebuke. We like to be told you're doing all right. Things are going fine. Things are good. But Asa becomes resistant at this point. And this is a turning point in Asa's life because he becomes resistant to just about everything God says from this point on. And people in his kingdom probably came up and began to say, Asa, you're, you're veering off. And he began to oppress them because it says he oppressed some of the people. Generally, the people you're going to oppress are the people that you don't like. People that are you know, correcting you or telling you not to do things here or there. And he did that. And at that time, Asa oppressed some of the people. He hadn't oppressed them before. But you see, he got into this resistant mode. And he's no longer conforming to the image of God. He is resisting the image of God. If you resist the image of God, what image do you conform to? Boy, think about that one, huh? Note that the Acts of Asa first and last are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and in his malady was severe. When did it happen? 39th year of his reign. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Why doesn't he seek the Lord? Because he's resistant to the Lord now. So we're resisting this. So I'm not going to yield in any way. He's resisting even this. And he goes to the physicians, even though the physicians can't do it. How long did he reign? 41 years. So Rastor did not seek the Lord. But the physicians, so Rastor rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared in the mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. Well, he was still a popular king. He just had a bad couple of ending years, but all the rest of the years were good, and so they remembered him well. But he resisted God and this and died sick. Two years he suffered with that. A year and a half, two years, maybe two and a half years, something like that. But from the 39th year to the 41st year, we don't know what the months were, he suffered with this and then he died. He became resistant to the things of God. All up until then, he was resistant to the enemy. Now he's resistant to God. And to him, nothing has changed. To him, he's right. This is where we have to be careful. First Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about 
like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We must resist him because if we don't resist him, we're resisting who? And if we resist God, he resists us. The Christian walk, folks, is a constant adapting, changing, conforming to the image of God. And we must always remember, there's someone who knows more about this than I do. And so we have to keep that idea of submission up. We cannot get into a place that acid did where I'm just going to resist everybody. Everybody else is wrong. And anybody who tells me that I'm wrong, I'm going to put in prison or I'm going to oppress them somehow. And we may not, ha- may not have the power like acid did to put people in prison, but we have the power to resist them. We have the power to kick them out of an influential part of our life. That's why don't get offended. Don't let this kind of stuff get in there. Don't be over there judging all the people for, for things you don't know anything about. Listen to God. Resist the enemy. Because the enemy comes in subtly. That's why you got to know the Word of God. When he comes in subtly like he did with Eve. No, 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 no. I, I got that one. I see you coming in there. Get out of here. He's looking around for whom he can devour. So he's planting little seeds here and there. So he's going to try and get you to be unthankful so that the seeds will take root. If he gets you to become unthankful for your parents, he can sow in seeds of displeasure between you and them. And then he can get you to resist your parents and the wisdom that they have. If he can get you to have become unthankful for your spouse, then he can begin to sow seeds of doubt about your spouse. And it begins to turn, it just begins to go on from there. And you can use that with any, anyone at all. James verse 4 says, But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but the humble, he gives grace. Last week we talked about that. If you're humble, you're thankful. Thankful people are humble people. Stay thankful, always. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But of course, we don't just resist the devil, do we? What else do you do? If you do not submit to God and resist the devil, your resistance is futile. You must submit to God resist the devil. Now, some people are just better at resisting than others. How many of you have all been fishing? Some of you folks have been fishing or, or watch fishermen shows. How many people watch fishermen shows? Wow. Get a life. No, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> no, if you like fishermen shows, you go out there and you watch it. You probably watch golf too. <laughs> no, I'm just having fun with you. You're probably saying, yeah, but you watch Star Trek. Yes, I do. <laughs> that's not up your, your cup of tea, then you probably pick on me for watching Star Trek. So that's all fine. But if you, you people that are more expert at this, I couldn't really tell you that. But I do know that there are some fish that give a better fight than others. There are some fish that are better, better fighters than certain fish. Some fish just kind of lay down and say, oh, I'm caught. Oh, well. And that's it. You just reel them in. And they aren't fun, are they? You catch one of those and say, oh, it's just one of these things. But then you've got those other ones that you, you catch and, oh, you got a battle. 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Sometimes I've, I've seen some, some guys talk about an hour battling a fish. 
And then some of those guys, when they bring it in, put it back right back in. <laughs> like, dear Lord, if I battle a fish for an hour, he's mine. <laughs> I'm eating them. I don't even care if I like it. But you know, you know that there's certain fish that just have more, and it's 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 uh, to their nature. I think flounder isn't flounder one of the stronger ones. They don't. They're just going to bite the hook and then they sit down there. But I've heard that flounder can give a really big fight for the size they are. And there's certain bass that do and some bass that, that don't. But anyway, you know which ones they are and you try and get a lure that identifies those because you want the fighting fish. You want the fighting fish. You know why the devil doesn't want the fighting fish? The devil wants the ones that lay down. He's seeking whom he may devour. Be one of the fish that fights. Be one of the fish that resists. He says, you're not going to get me. You're not going to get me. Acts chapter 7. You stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart, and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so you do too. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by direction of angels and have not kept it. Mm. Call them stiff-necked, those folks in the Old Testament. Oh, and they were. How many times did the children of Israel resist God? In the wilderness. How many times, even under the kings, did the children of Israel resist God? We've got to get out of that place of resisting that. Second Timothy 3 and verse 8. Now as Johnese and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Johnese and Jambres, they resisted Moses. The man who's talked to God, met with God face to face. Hmm. How can you resist someone like that? Well, they did. Second Timothy four fourteen. Alexander the coppersmith, Paul speaking, did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. You will always be resisting something. Make sure it's the right stuff. Make sure you resist what you should. We should not resist conforming into the image of God. We should not resist yielding to wisdom that comes from people who have been there, who have done what it is that we want to do, who have put electrical stuff in, who have run some pipe in the past, who have laid down some carpet, who have fixed the car, we want to listen to these people because they've done it. Let them pass on that knowledge. But if you are resistant to it, you're not going to receive it. No, no, no. I know better. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And if you, you find yourself in that way and you resist wisdom, you are a prime candidate for Satan to take. Make sure we submit to, to God. The Word of God also says to submit to each other. Have a submissive attitude. Have a humble attitude. Always be thankful. You see, Asa, at this point in his life, he had been thankful all the way up until now. Thank you, God, for the nation. Thank you, God, for the army I have. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for the blessing. But now, all of a sudden, he becomes ungrateful because God didn't like his brilliant plan. And his plan worked. It's not like his plan failed. His plan worked. And he kept holding on to that. God, my plan worked. It accomplished what it was supposed to accomplish. And you're mad at me? And no children of Israel had to die. 
Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank You. We thank You for the Word of God that You give us. We thank You for the help that You give us to resist. Glory be to Your name. Father, we want to resist the enemy. We want to resist the things that would come against us, causing us to not be conformed in Your image. Oh, Lord Jesus, we love You. We want to open ourselves up to receive from You. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. With your eyes closed and your head bowed. If you're here this morning, you say, I have been resisting some of the things that God wants to do. That God wants to deal with me and take me in. Oh, this is not a time to be resistant to that anymore. I heard someone say some time ago that many times we as parents miss it with our children. Because we tell our children, and you tell me if you've said this to yours, you can be anything you want to be. You can be anything you want to be. And that's actually not true. You can be what God calls you to be. It is our job as parents, our job as followers of God, to find out what has God called me to be and to be it. Not to become whatever we want to be. God, we're always you know, telling, oh, you're, you're good. You're, you're diligent. You're this, that, the other thing. You can be anything. No. I can be whatever God has called me to be. And it's my job to discover what that is. Make sure that there is no resistance in you to the things of God. Eyes closed, head bowed. If anyone is here, and you say, I have resisted. As this whole thing has been going on, I have found myself. I've resisted some of the things with God. I've resisted some of the things He wants to do in my life. I've resisted some of the things He, he places He wants to take me. Stuff He wants me to be doing. Callings teachings, training, whatever it might be. I've been resistant to it. I don't want to resist anymore. No one looking around. If you want prayer for that here this morning, you don't have to come up here to the front. But you want us to pray for you in this. Yes, I, I've seen that I have become resistant. But I want to yield myself to the plan of God, to the things that God has for me. Raise up your hand. We'll pray for you right now. A number of you. All right. Father God, you see the folks that have raised their hand. Oh, we want to yield ourselves to you. We want to be yielded vessels to the things of God. So, Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. We are being conformed into your image. Transformed by the word of God. And we thank you for the help that you give us. As we have signified raising of hands, we realize, oh, there's an area I'm missing it. There's an area I've, I've resisted the wrong things. You see our willingness, our desire to be yielded. So, Father, we thank you for the help that you give us, the teaching, the training, the things that you do for us. We bless you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.